This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, here we are on episode six of the the Strength and Anger podcast, featuring myself, Eric Stone, and the Robert Bain. At Bain316. So, any feedback from last week, Bain? Uh, We did get some feedback. We got some electronic mails, if you will. Did we? We did. We did. Uh, And just to to jump on that one, yes, Iowa State sucks. I said it. You can play that anywhere. And yes, she does need to lift more. Okay. Yeah, leave it at that, and then, like I said, our our listeners uh, know who they are, and uh, yeah, she needs to lift more. And I'm hoping to see that at the uh, at the next meet she does. So yeah, we had a an email from a listener that suggested we have our own hashtag, and I did a little hashtag investigation. Oh. And so I believe we can make lay claim to the hashtag strength anger. No and, even mm. though I know it's the strength and anger podcast. Right. But if we use the hashtag strength anger, which actually is our anchor fm. Uh-huh. Uh, URL as well. Um, so if you have any suggestions or questions yeah. or comments or hate tweets or hate instas, you, can, us. you can add us or use the hashtag strengthanger. Strengthanger for those of you that are. Right, right. I don't like to spell things. Um, <clears throat> I definitely got the feedback that I was the angriest in that episode. Yeah. Um, I got pretty angry at the end. I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is now my goal is I want to trigger you somehow. I, I keep trying to with the Bears talk. I don't know what it's going to do with this week, though. Yeah. Yeah, let's not talk about the Bears. Oh, let's talk about it. How are you feeling about yeah. it? Let's move on to our second segment. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, What's going on with you, Bane? You know, man, it was a low-key weekend. Uh, nothing really crazy. You know, I, I have continued my uh, absence from the gym uh, on weekends. Uh, that will stop after this weekend because we will be – Obviously, doing a few things together. We'll see you this weekend, and I'll be back uh, back training here in November. So, but it was good. Uh, just enjoy some time with the family. Been enjoying kind of recovering, um, eating a lot, which I like to do. Um, and then you I watched moving up uh, to three hundred eight. Hmm. You moving up to three hundred eight? You know, going for letters, baby. Why, why not do a big? Uh, and then yeah, I definitely watched the Packers. Uh, you know, kick some butt. So that was uh, yeah. that was fun. I was at the Bears game with my <laughs> wife Jackie. It was fun hanging out with my wife. Um, but the Bears Remember, suck. We, we were at the Bears game. Yeah, we were at the Bears game. Um, I'm starting to believe, or not believe, in Mitch Trubisky that yeah. he might uh, he might be a bust, and that's sad. I, I yeah, I, I zero out of five stars. Do not recommend. Yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, so what's going on with the, you, man? The episode of today we're going to focus on social media, and we talked last week about possibly having Wayne Pullum of the WPO on, and he has agreed to come on the podcast. But um, my thought was a couple things. A, you know, if we do a a preview episode today, after this week, it's kind of, you know, an episode that's lost its luster or it's, you know, it's no longer timeless. If we talk about it afterwards with Wayne, then even if you are talking about it two years from now, you're still talking about what had happened. Yep. Um, you know, what had what, happened was. Right, yeah, what had happened was. <laughs> and also, I just haven't had the time to sit down and figure out how to mess with the levels to have interviews yet. Uh, on the phone, that is. Yeah. I do have the, the hookups for it or the rigs for it. I just haven't quite got the levels right and haven't had time to sit down and maybe bring in my partner, Howard, to fidget around with that. 
Um, so we'll we'll just go on something that I that actually became super apparent to me this week. That it yeah, made, man, how it, how timely on this one? Right, it, made, it just made super sense to go through this. Um, super serial. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this weekend, you know, Bane and I, we do have the Chicago Strength Expo. Yes. We do have the WPC Can-Am mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday. Not the Can-Am, the Can-Am. <laughs> Saturday is going to be a huge day. I mean, it's uh, USA Weightlifting. It's mm-hmm. USS Strongman. It's about 80 to, eh, about 80 uh, powerlifters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that is a big day. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Huge. Yeah, Sunday's a little less. Um, we just have powerlifting and some kettlebell sport stuff. Mm. And then Sunday's the big one, WPO. Oh, yeah. oh baby. Will be uh, live-streamed on ESPN3, mm-hmm. the 30 of the best multiply powerlifters in the world. On the trace. And, uh, yeah, it's on the trace. So if you're interested in coming out, I've been told by the Wayne Pullum that it's $20 to come watch. Um, it will start at 12 noon Central Standard Time at Pheasant Run Resort uh, in the Mega Center. Mega. Mega. Hashtag mega. Look out for some hashtag mega hats at yes. the Strength Expo. Make making, equipped. Yeah, making equipped, lifting great again. Yes. Um, so that's what's been going on with me this weekend. Um, How stressed are you right now? You know, I'm, it's, it's like the highest stress level in the world was a 10 um, I'm at least a solid seven or eight today. I would say, yeah, you got a lot going on right now, yeah, man. There's, it, it's high. Um, I feel better after working all day today and getting some stuff done. Once I like start crossing things off my list, I yep. start to feel better. The only problem is there's a lot of things on my list. Uh, so yeah, that all have to be done by, you know, Sunday night. Right. <laughs> so what was going on here this last week was that the USAPL Raw Nationals were almost a stone's throw away, um, from the gym. You got I mean, a good arm, man. Jeez. Well, I, I was more thinking you than me. Ah, okay. But nah. yeah, the USAPL Raw Nationals, I, I mean, in my estimation, one of the largest singular meets I've heard of. I, I, I would, mean, for me, for sure. I mean, I am familiar with the Texas High School Powerlifting uh, Program, and they've had some gigantic state meets. Um, you know, five, 600 lifters. I don't know if they've ever had 1,000, and I don't know if they've ever had 1,300. And I think this is the biggest for USAPL. I, yeah, I think the biggest meet I'd ever heard of previously was like 800, and that was more legend than anything. So, yeah, th- this was a big I mean, meet. supposedly the 2000 WPC, AWPC combined worlds, depending on who you asked, was 800 to 1,000. Yeah. That was like a week-long meet. It was only one platform, so it's a lot of lifters to run through. That'll do it. Uh, this was a five-day, five-platform meet, multi-session. Yep. Um, and uh, one of our members had this comment. It was as though Instagram exploded in the gym. <laughs> and that was, credit goes to Jonathan Zychek, if he ever listens to this. That's solid. We had probably close to 300 day passes at the gym, which, oh, for, at least. which for us is a lot. Um, because we were so close to the venue, we had a lot of lifters that came over here. You know, what kind of surprises me, Bane, is that, and I, don't, and I talked to another lifter who is not a USAPL lifter. Mm-hmm. A USPA guy said that it, it's kind of a USAPL thing to like lift like a few days before you compete. And at least as far as my training has ever gone, I don't know that I have ever hardly touched a barbell within five days of competing. And that goes back to my very first meet. So I'll, I'll weigh in on this. Uh, previously, that, that was kind of my thought process. I would say probably running up to really worlds last year. That was kind of how I always treated it. I might do a little light workout here, some stretching and stuff like that. But yeah, usually about five, six days out was when I was about done. Uh Nationals this year and Worlds this year um, in South Carolina and then Orlando, I actually had a, a 
I mean, 50%, you know, very, very light bench session two days before the meet. Uh, th- again, this is kind of how my training had gone. I had about a week out, uh, probably the last two years, I had done like a 50% squat session, no deadlifts. So you had usually done deadlifts in a couple weeks before a meet. Um, but yeah, it, I, I have found that that does help a little bit. Uh, but I did kind of pull that from some of the, uh, the USAPL or some of the poppies. Uh, I'd seen that, uh, steal that from Donnie Thompson. Uh, I, I can't say I necessarily disagree with that right now because I've had some of the best meets, uh, in 2019 anyway that I've ever had. So, okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I see some I, merit to it. I'm not hating, but I'm just from experience, uh, at least APF lifters. And I think geared lifting is different because of the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the cheating that goes on. Yeah, all the cheating, and you gotta you gotta you know kind of recover from that cheating. It's true. So I, I do think raw lifting is different. But in talking with a couple lifters that were here, um, they said it is kind of a USAPL thing, and I know that some of them follow that and listen to their coaches' clinic today. Mm-hmm. They do kind of follow more of that high frequency, you know, Sheko type three, four times a week benching, squatting two to three times yeah, a week deadlifting, like three times a week at least. It's crazy. Well, and and we'll get into this later. Um, but the, yeah, but. Jonathan Zajac and I had this conversation. Of those 1,300 lifters, how many of them will be in, still in the sport in 10 years? Yeah, what, what is the half-life on this meet? I think it would be a great thing to look at I mean, in five years. Right, and that's not even a hate on the USAPL or lifters in general, but I think it, it – it, and we're going to talk about this with social media. I think the type of lifters that are attracted to this type of meet, I do think the half-life is going to be shorter than your average lifter or maybe your – your lifter from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I, I would agree, but I know we're going to get into that, so I won't, I won't weigh in on that so, just yet. Um, now, now, did you did you go to the meet? I did not. I did watch some video and yeah. pictures of it, and Same. I, I got to give the USAPL some credit. As a meet director, that mm-hmm. is an incredible job of organizing. Just staff, um, you know, judges, spotters, loaders, equipment, and they had a great setup. I mean, yeah. five platforms. They had a video board above you, every platform. 14 warm-up stations. Wow, that's impressive. That is. All with heel plates. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of expensive equipment. Yes. Now, I guess with 13, 1,400 lifters times their entry feed, they've got a good pool of cash to, you would think so. to pull from. You would think so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they had live stream. They have a, a scoring app. They've got some good things, mm-hmm. you know, that as the APF goes, I don't, I don't know that we will ever do a five-platform meet. I, I should never say never, but— <laughs> Never's a long time, man. <laughs> right. So I, I never say never, but I don't know that that would be our—the way we would do things. Um but I would say that uh, some of the things that they had there, again, the video boards, um, you know, we are hopefully going to get a, a system that's used by the USAPL and USPA, the, uh, the wireless computerized lights, quote unquote, system mm-hmm. that they use and had built into their video stream. They had some nice things there. Yeah. And again, we had a ton of day passes, so we can't hate on it too much. We also had two of their coaches clinics that rented out the facility. But it definitely brought, you know, we, I had this on last week that we could be doing the episode about social media, and yeah. it's, it's fit so well because USAPL Raw Nationals is truly, you know, it's like the Instagram brand of lifting. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily saying that in a negative viewpoint. No, not but, at all. But it is definitely as strongly influenced by Instagram mm-hmm. specifically as any meet I've ever seen and yeah. any type of lifter I've ever seen. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, because we, we talked about this. I actually texted you, you know, we were texting about the meet kind of throughout the weekend. And I mentioned specifically there was another, you know, what you would assume is a big meet going on in California. They got almost zero 
coverage because of the algorithms and and all that. And so you have this. It was interesting that you know the USAPL has this you know great influence on you know social media, Instagram specifically, and how it completely outweighed. I mean, some of the best lifters in the world uh, were competing right. out there in California, and, and you heard nothing about them. Uh, so, so very, very interesting. Uh, well, and it's interesting you use the term coverage, quote unquote. And I will yeah. get, I will get into that when we talk about, you know, kind of the rise of social media. And, and, and but, I use that loosely, but again, right. the, the algorithm did determine me. I, I could open up all weekend long, basically from when actually Tuesday on until this morning, I could open up Instagram, and I pretty much knew what was going on. I was up in about ten minutes. I was up to speed on sure. Me. And people were posting, you know, videos and pictures and stories here. Yep. Um, not so, gonna like Gus Fear was all over the place. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you know, if you know Garrett Fear, his dog was everywhere on social media. <laughs> Which I mean, it's an adorable animal, so I get it. But sure, sure. So let's let's back up. I like to always inject a little history into this. You like to back it up. I mean, uh, um, well, sometimes. Uh, but let's go back to a time before social media. Now mm-hmm. I don't know that Bane and I can the, talk the too, time the time before time. Right. I don't know that Bane and I can talk too much about how lifting was before the internet, because even when I started lifting, there was still the internet, but it was, yeah. it was sort of in its infancy, or, you know, as if you haven't listened to our, uh, origin stories, Bane's been in the sport about what, uh, six, six years, years. Yep. you know, I've been in the sport almost 20 years, but even going back to, you know, late, you know, in the year 2000, as, uh, Conan <laughs> O'Brien would say, <laughs> when I was looking into powerlifting in 98, 99 and got into it in 2000, you know, there certainly was the internet. Um, in fact, I found out about powerlifting through the internet yeah. and you know mainly through these all else fails always blame the internet <laughs> right yeah uh <laughs> through these kind of like bulletin board message boards mm-hmm. um and i actually am thinking back and it was actually dr squat.com fred nice. hatfield nice that had at the time a pretty good message board had some decently smart guys talking about lifting and training and that kind of thing um that's where i actually found out about Ernie Franz's gym being down the road from my home, you know, being down in my hometown, yeah. down the road from my house I grew up in. Um, and that's how you kind of found out about lifting at that time or, you know, what was probably more common, especially uh, maybe five years before that, was that, you know, you're brought into the sport through other powerlifters. It was kind of like a, you know, a, a rite of passage that you found a gym and found a strong dude, kind of like you found the creepier Russian dude at the yes. YMCA. Yes. But it would be more like, you know, you found a group of lifters or you found a powerlifting gym and people came into the sport through other, through a group of lifters. Most people did not come into the sport by themselves, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I think back to, you know, when I would catch glimpses of, of what I know now is strength sports and powerlifting and stuff like that. And, and when I think about it, it's it was almost like it, you were chasing this unknown thing, and, and, and I say that because you would see somebody and you see how they kind of fill out their clothes, like wow, that's a, that's not what I'm used to seeing, generally speaking. And sometimes you might go talk to them, you might not, and and, and that kind of just kind of draws you. And I, I remember reading an article on Elite FDS uh, talking about a guy talking about his first coach and kind of how he got brought in the sport, and he happened to be at a hotel for like a wedding. That a uh, a powerlifting meet was going off. You've read this article before, but I don't think I have. That it, sounds interesting. It's though. actually a really good article, and and it but it talks about kind of how you know this group that he gets introduced to pours into his life, and the, and the whole thing it was really interesting how it all kind of came full circle. Where he walked into the wrong ballroom, he sees this going on. He's in a tux, and he's like, "What the hell is this?" 
And he sees this guy up there. The guy's really strong. He ends up meeting him afterwards. Long story short, he joins the guy's crew. They train. He kind of goes through the rite of passage. What we all hear about with the old school crews, like, like you don't get to train with us. You just get to you know, move the weights and all that kind of crap. Sure. And it's interesting you bring up Elite FTS because I do think um, in the early days of the internet before social media, and we're just talking internet websites, yep. not Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. YouTube, that kind of thing, Elite FTS had a large impact on the sport. I mean yeah. – uh, Dave Tate used to write articles for an, a different website, deepsquatter.com, mm-hmm. which had its own message board. Um, and he wrote a lot of kind of West Side oriented articles uh, back in the day. And I, I think you could probably trace a lot of Dave's, Dave's early success mm-hmm. to the fact that he put out so much free content. Yeah. And that's something they've been doing as long as they've been around. Oh, yeah. And they, and they, they put out good content, a lot of good stuff. I mean, I know. Uh, Eric Morosh for the Monster Garage. He's one of the contributors, and it's one of the reasons why I got into Elite FDS. But uh, right, and and but in those days, it was through things like articles on websites yeah. and message boards yep. that you wanted to find out anything about powerlifting on the internet. It wasn't certainly as easily apparent. You kind of had to look for it. Yeah, it was. It was. It was there, but it was definitely you had to check out the covers. And I think that was true of powerlifting in general. It was a more underground sport. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly go back to the 80s and 90s. It was definitely more underground. Yep. I, I think it was still basically an underground sport when I started in the early 2000s. It was like no one knew what it was versus now if I asked – in the in the early 2000s when I started, if I asked 10 people what is powerlifting, you know – It's when you get on stage with right, the chunks, right? Seven or eight would think it would be I get on stage, and maybe nine or ten would think maybe the next would be at Olympic lifting. Mm-hmm. And one person would have no idea even what lifting is. So zero out of ten would know what powerlifting is, basically. Yeah, I get about three out of ten right now in right. the circle which, that I run in. But it's which, better than nothing. Which is a huge increase from zero or one. Right. Now, if you ask someone in their 20s or 30s, which going back to what we saw this last week in the gym, oh yeah, I would say 75 to 80% of the people that were here were between the ages of 20 and 30. Yeah, I the ones I saw, you know, the nights I was here, I, I would agree. Um, there was a few masters lifters. There was yep. a few, you know, like a a small handful of young kids, you know, teenagers. Yeah. Which speaking of masters, uh, David Ricks, how amazing was he this weekend? Sixty one years old and had like a seven hundred pound squat or something. It was insane. And that's that was raw, correct? Of uh, course, correct, correct. So that's just knee bullshit. Knee sleeves raw, correct? But, uh, I mean, whether you wear knee sleeves or not, it's still impressive. I'm saying sixty one years old and doing that. That's amazing. Very impressive. This is awesome. Sorry, I had to do a little sidebar there. Sure, yeah. sure. You know, and powerlifting USA, even when the internet was still around, had a strong impact. Like people waited until powerlifting USA came up with the results from your meet, and you are kind of identified as a good meet director if you submitted your results as soon as you could mm-hmm. to powerlifting USA, and if you sent a color picture, that was even better. And people kind of hate on him, and he kind of ran gym esque meets. But Daryl Latch used to run meets around Central Illinois and Illinois and the Midwest in general, more the Southern Midwest area. Um, but he always submitted his results to Powerlifting USA. Mm-hmm. He always submitted it with a color picture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a color picture of a dude benching in a bench shirt and jeans, <laughs> and maybe with a denim bench shirt. But got to match, man. You got to look good. right. Exactly. But he did a good job of you know promoting you Canadian know, his, lifting suit. His Canadian lifting suit, definitely. <laughs> um, and at that time, uh, it's hard to believe, kids, but. There literally was no social media. There was nothing of the sort. In fact, my first exposure to any oh, social media was a college. Live? Right, exactly. How did you talk to each other? Yeah. Surprisingly, I called my, my now wife, then girlfriend, on the phone. And we had AOL Instant Messenger, which was oh, the thing was, back in the day. Was, was this phone attached to the wall? Yes, it was. What? 
We talked about that uh, yesterday, actually. My first cell phone um, was on my wife's plan. We had a little uh, family plan. How, how old did you get your first cell phone? Um, would have been at least 20. Not in those no, no, and I take that back. I was probably, because we didn't even meet until I was 20, 21. We didn't start dating until I was 22. So I was probably solidly 22 before I got my first cell phone. So not to one-up, but to date myself, I did not get a cell phone first. When I was 16, I had a pager. I also had a free pager. Yes, I had a pager, and then I got a phone that the charge could last for three hours. But <laughs> if you kept it on and connected to the network, it charged you minutes to be connected to the network. That's hilarious. And so I kept it off. I would get a page from my girlfriend. I would call her on my cell phone for five minutes, and then I had to have it because... Do you remember when, like, on cell phones that calling was so important, but, like, minutes were, quote, free after, like, 8 p.m. or something oh, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Call me after 8. Right. Call me after 8. Yep. Definitely. Yep. 100%. And they were not smartphones. They were definitely stupid phones. Oh, it's so dumb. I, I have actually... Flip phones. I have found the phone that I had when Nick and I started dating. And this thing is so ancient. It does still connect to the Sprint PCS network. And, yeah, this, it's awesome because the, you had to get on the network to to get the messages. So wow. it wasn't just like a regular text message or an iMessage. Or sure. Had to get on the network. And so I was able to log in and, uh, yeah, can see the messages I was sending with my wife back when we were 19 and 20 years old. Hmm. It's, uh, it's interesting. Those would be interesting to look at, I'm they sure. They were very interesting because we were interested. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I don't know when you had your first exposure to social media, but for me, I remember I was on student government in college, and mm -hmm. I remember some of the other executive board members talking about the Facebook, because at that time it was thefacebook.com, mm -hmm. and you had to have a college email in order mm -hmm. to sign up for Facebook. I was probably about a junior, I'd say. Yeah, I was I think, already, I think, already having kids at that point. I so. think 05. Um, yeah, I already, already had two. Um, First yeah. exposure to social media? Mine was, yeah, it, I think it was right after Lily was born, actually, because uh, my sister Elizabeth was uh, graduating high school, and she went to the local community college, and they automatically signed everybody up for Facebook. That was their kind of thing for connecting the students together. Interesting. Was And that was originally, so if you, if you get into the history of Facebook, that originally was what it was meant to do. It was supposed to replace directories and just be a, a connecting board for students. And sure. And one, once it got out of the schools, it just exploded. Well, and to, and to reiterate, you could not even be on Facebook unless you were a college student initially. Correct. You, you had, had to have had a to have edu email. And you had to have, yeah, you had to have a college email. And then after it had been around for a while, it was kind of like, well, you know, what do we do with these people that are no longer in college? Yeah, they do graduate at some point, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, all, that's only four years. And then yeah. I think obviously Facebook saw the potential growth of then it moved to high school students. I think mm -hmm. it was high school students second. It was college and then high school. And then it kind of, because everyone had had Facebook for two, three years now, it was like, okay, now we're going to just open it up to everybody. Yeah, so I, th cause I think I've had mine for, for 12 or 13 years. So, yeah, so we're coming up on, you know, yeah. about that time when it started to flip over. Um, and it yeah. was not what it is today. I mean, there was no, no, there was no news feed. Not like, you know, you would get on there and, there and you could post stuff on people's wall. Right. It was no, nothing like you have today. The wall was kind of like, you know, people in college, I don't know if they still do this anymore. They used to have like marker boards yeah. literally on their door. And yes. like you could go to your friend's door and write like, you know, Bane's an ass or something or, hey, Bane, stop by. You weren't here. Yeah. Something nice. You, usually Bane's an ass. Right. Yeah. Or maybe both. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of the idea is you could quote write on someone's wall just yep. like you'd write on their marker board on their door. Yep. Now, now I will say, as I'm thinking about this, 
right before that, because again, that was where I really got into social media. I did have a MySpace. Okay. See, I had MySpace after Facebook. Really? I know I know that I know that MySpace was before Facebook, definitely, yep. but I didn't have a MySpace until after I had a Facebook. I think I found out about it later. I, I got it and then as soon as you started or it started doing the music on the page, that's when I got I'm like, nope. I just, I can't do. This I think this. people. I think musicians still use MySpace. They, they do, yeah. It's for that now, it's, for that purpose, it's now more of a a music sharing site. But right, uh, yeah. The original reason it was connected, like it was dope. Like I, I liked the the top friends. That was a thing to be, you know, in somebody's top eight. Right, the top eight. Yeah, right. and uh, and Tom, you know, Tom Tom was there for us. Right, and uh, we all abandoned Tom. We did, we did. But Tom, you know, he sold uh, MySpace, and he's not upset. He does not right. care. Um. Anyway. <laughs> you know, YouTube, I remember it starting to be a thing when it's like, it started with just like a funny video sharing site. Yes. And, Cat videos. Well, and internet videos were a thing in the mid 2000s, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like anybody could just upload a video. It wasn't like, you know, I could literally could take my phone right now and upload a video of us talking on yeah. YouTube or even live stream it on YouTube or Facebook for that matter. Or I mean, Instagram. Or Instagram. Yes. Instagram TV. Hey. Um, but it wasn't this thing where people were uploading, you know, professionally or no. semi-professionally done videos. It was literally like old school camcorders. And plus, at that time, smartphones were not a thing. No. And thus, Facebook and YouTube were only on a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you needed a camcorder and kind of some special software in order to even get the video onto your computer to then upload it into YouTube. I remember back in the early days before I had kids and had more time... You know, I used to videotape our workouts at Team Stone and then used iMovie to edit them mm-hmm. and upload them onto YouTube. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, as soon as I had kids, I just that extra time I used to have was just gone. Same. And plus, it, it was kind of a long process because we had video. Like, Having kids? Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like, they, they come out and they just stick around. It's well, I guess I was talking about oh, yeah. <laughs> kids do take a long time, but... Uploading stuff to YouTube at the time took a long time. It yeah. was like you had to yes. edit the videos and like, you know, it wasn't like you could just edit it on your phone like you can now. Um, and, you know, here's an interesting, it's not totally related to what we're talking about, but is YouTube becoming a replacement for television? I mean, in, I, in a sense, they, you know, it, they've developed original content. They've got the levels of it now at this point. There's YouTube Music. There's YouTube Red. So, so it has access like television. And I think if my kids had their way they might watch only youtube and do, i try to somewhat... kids do the toy thing where they watch kids oh play my with... gosh for people that don't have kids this is kind of hard to explain but like kids oh. if you let them and i try to limit my kids you know certainly tablet use and yep. social media use in the form of youtube but my son especially when he was young he would sit there and watch these strange uh egg videos okay like the uh, the ones the ca- not Cadbury uh, the eggs the, the um, Kinder eggs the Kinder eggs from Europe which yep. they kind of have here now but they're not exactly like they're in Europe mm-hmm. because you're not allowed to have toys in candy in the yep. United States. My son would just sit there and watch Kinder Surprise egg videos on YouTube for hours if I let him. Dude, the slime videos. Who, I swear, if I ever met the person who invented slime, I will punch them right in the throat. Uh, and then yeah, the the toys, the uh, the unwrapping of toys, like the uh, actually unpackaging of toys. Right, my son loves those, and those uh, are the number one channels on YouTube. It, it, Evan Tube HD, I got to give them credit. Like this, all this kid was doing was opening toys, 
and, and they've made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Probably millions. Probably. Um, My son likes to watch FGTV. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's wild to me. And here's the thing. I find myself doing similar stuff where I will watch like I, I play some mobile games on my phone. I will watch people's, you know, recordings of their Twitch right. on YouTube just to just to see because I I don't have time to do the rest of the stuff. And that we'll get into a little bit of you know why social media has become such a big thing. I don't have time to do this stuff on my own, so I just watch somebody else do it. Oh, cool! Now I've seen that part of the game. I'm, I mean, uh, you could just about learn to do anything on YouTube. There's probably a video to learn how to drywall, to learn how to do plumbing, to learn how to do to learn electric. How to Right. Oh, I've watched videos on how to set up your podcast. Hey. Uh, and so there's a lot on, I mean, you and I could go out and record a, a video of us talking about lifting. Would yeah. anybody care? I don't know. That's another question. But if people liked it, we could upload it to YouTube and have it up by the end of the night, which yeah. if you think about it from a technological standpoint, is such a leaps and bounds jump from what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, because you, you would make your post on the message board and... I mean, it would take three to four minutes to even get up to the message board. Right. Thanks, 266K. <laughs> I wish I could. Maybe I'll figure this out, or maybe I'll find a, a YouTube video, ironically, <laughs> of a sound of an yes. old modem and post it. <laughs> I, if you play that, you know, anybody under the age of 30 probably has no idea what that sound even is. Oh, my kids do not. They have no clue. I, I have played that, and they just they don't get it. When I explain to them, like, that there was no option for us, you know, cause we have we have smart TVs, right? Sure. And so we have three TVs connected to our internet. Like th- this was not an option right. when you I were, grew up. You were connected we had, to cable, right? Maybe we had the cable downstairs in Grandma and Pop Pop's basement, and the one computer that could be connected to it too, right? Which I destroyed by downloading stuff on Napster and LimeWire and <laughs> <laughs> everything, every other thing that I probably shouldn't be downloading. Well, and now I think, especially in the lifting community, YouTube is big. Huge. Facebook, Facebook Huge. is Facebook is big for people, you know, kind of interacting. Mm-hmm. But I think Instagram to me is the one that is just huge in lifting. And one of the members here recommended we start an Instagram page for Two XL, mm-hmm. which I think was probably a smart move mm-hmm. just from a business perspective. And I actually then suggested that the APF start an Instagram page for the same reason: not that we're going to make tons of posts. But, you know, it's almost just a landing page slash a page that it's, can be tagged. Gives some legitimacy and, yeah. Sure. It, you know, gets you out there. Uh, but, you know, the, the, quote, millennials on Instagram would say that they don't even go on Facebook because that's for their parents. Yeah, I've gotten that a couple times. Like, my, my oldest has a Facebook to talk to my parents. That's just hilarious. Yeah. Well, like, again, you think about Facebook started with just college kids, and mm-hmm. now it's literally our parents. On, I mean, my, my parents post on Facebook quite frequently. Um, <laughs> do they do they post the funny posts like we talked about last week? <laughs> right, we're like in their bio. It's like, hey, Eric, call me tomorrow. <laughs> no, my parents are a little bit more technically, especially okay. my dad That's is, good. you know, more technically savvy than that. Um, there's no doubt that social media has become, you know, almost. And I think we all fall into this that like you know you got your phone in your pocket and you're sitting there doing nothing. And what do you do? You pull out your phone and you start scrolling social media. It's almost ingrained in us. We're looking at our phones right now. Well, I'm not vain as... But it's, I, it's open right now. I see well, it. Only because I have a funny, <laughs> ironically, post from Instagram. You do. W- one thing before we dive into this. You know, before social media, you know, Powerlifting USA, it, that was the only form of it. 
you know, you talked about it where, you know, you were a good meat director if you could upload that or not upload. <laughs> See, the, email the, or mail. Right. Email or mail. Uh, you know, but, but again, that that is what I think is really hard for people to understand is that there was that the print was social media back then. Right. And if you wanted back then. if you wanted to see the results of the meat, you had to wait until it was in Powell from USA. Yeah. When I started uh, my first meet, there was no internet, or there, there was an internet. There was no website for the APF. Mm. A couple years later, Ernie Franz had a very, very basic, like, let's, we're talking like, you know, GeoCities oh, style website for just the gym. CompuServe.com. Pretty much. And it was just <laughs> a really, like, super basic website for the Franz mm. gym. And then included in that was also a little bit on the APF. But there was no APF website. Um, and so if you wanted to see the results, you li- quite literally had to wait until it came in the magazine. If you wanted to keep your results, you had to keep that magazine. Yeah. There wasn't like going back through past meet results. And if you wanted to see where you ranked, the only place to see it was the Powerlifting USA Top 100 list. Mm. And when we go back to last week, we talked about how my wife Jackie had the suggestion of interviewing Joe Mukite, mm-hmm. who put on the first bench America in the mid 2000s. That was kind of the impetus for him putting on the meat is that, you know, actually what we're going to talk about next week, there was the alphabet soup of powerlifting organizations Mm -hmm. and the top 100 lifters may not have ever competed against one another. And he said, Hey, I want to bring those top 100 lifters together, benchers at least, and have them compete against one another because that was the only way to compare yourself. There was no open powerlifting.com or its precursor powerliftingwatch.com. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's interesting. I think at a short run, and its previous owners did a better job of aggregating content. Mm-hmm. But Powerlifting Watch used to be like the Facebook feed solely for powerlifting, the Facebook Instagram feed. Yeah, I'll be honest. Here, here's my beef with it. One, they still take my money. Like I've tried to, like, I, I basically have had to completely disconnect my entire PayPal because every year I get a charge from them. Right, it drives and- me insane. And like, oh, you can go to the website. I'm like, no, I can't because I don't even know where my login's anymore. Every time I want to go on Powerlifting Watch, I have to like reset my password. Yeah. And because I always go on there to, I do still add meets to Powerlifting Watch because I figure it's still kind of a site used and it's yep. another way for you to way advertise our meets. Yep. I do send them our results. I don't think it's used nearly. I mean, people used to get upset if you didn't. And it's kind of like it went, okay, people get upset if I hadn't sent it to Powerlifting USA. And then it was like, yep. okay, now you have to send your results into Powerlifting Power USA and Powerlifting Watch and, you know, certainly the organization so they can post it. And now it's certainly you need to po- send it to openpowerlifting.com so that can be posted. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so we're talking about all this stuff and the rise of Facebook and social media. It, is this a good thing? Well, I do think... As with anything in life, I don't think you can say anything is totally good or totally bad. Okay. You know, it's the internet. Is the internet good or bad? It's like, I, is money good or bad? Sure. It's I all mean, in how you use it. I think there are positive and negative elements of social media and certainly of the internet, which is, you know, an offshoot of the internet. Sure. So the positive. Mm-hmm. And I think this goes, you know, kind of for the internet in general, the powerlifting, but I think social media has, you know, it's taken everything I'm going to say and multiply it by 10. Oh, at least. Oh, yeah. So access to huge amounts of information. That's mm-hmm. number one, and that's probably the most positive impact of, you know, especially, the, especially the internet, but you know, social media in general. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at how it relates to, to lifting and fitness and <coughs> uh, you know, everything that goes around the sport, I mean, everything from nutrition to programs to technique to 
uh, thought process. All of it is available in droves across social media. And we'll talk about the negative, but I guess then the, the next point would be, you know, how do you comb through all that information to, to find what is the good information? But I would say in general, there is a lot of good information mm-hmm. out there. There's way more good information than was available even when I started. Like it was really kind of like, you know, going on underground message boards, asking people like, hey, do you know about this thing called powerlifting? And you Shh, might... No, we don't talk about it. Right, yeah. Um, you're able on social media to follow some of the, quote, big name lifters. You're able to see what they do in training. Yeah. yeah. Literally, you're able to see, you know videos of what they're doing yeah you could see breakdowns of what they're doing if they post a blog or if they you know have a facebook fan page and you know make posts about it you could even interact with them in almost live time slide in their dms oh boy that's going to be another episode we talked about Hmm. kind of my impetus for this episode was one of our members suggesting that we should read some female powerlifters dms out loud word I do think this that's a topic that deserves its own episode to talk about like the impact and, and we certainly want we will definitely do an episode on females in powerlifting, but the impact of females by social media, I think just in general in the fitness and lifting world well, is a huge topic. I can't wait for this because I, I get to read my daughter's DMs. Wow, that's you want you want to get the anger on this side of the table? That, that's good. That be will it. get me angry and it's not my daughter. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that makes me that <laughs> makes me angry. Uh, yeah. But you're able to interact, and this was kind of true back in the day with message boards because it was such a small niche community that you often on the message board could interact with big name lifters, but not always. Yeah. Um, but now you certainly can, and I think because it's so easy, you know, uh, a big name lifter. Uh, I saw another post from mm. our pal on social media. Um, he was pregnant in his post. Oh, God. He did something, didn't he? Yes. Uh, and it's funny because I had that post up. Sorry, fucking scumbag. I had, anyway. that, I had that post up in my feed as I was waiting for the Bears game to start, and the guy above me was like, what the F are you looking at? What kind of crazy shit are you looking at? <laughs> uh, bodybuilders, man. What are you going to do? Well, he's a powerlifter as well, right? Ish. Yeah, but I'm saying he did a bodybuilding show before. <laughs> right, sure. So more, I mean, more recently than a powerlifting. I would say when you're a super big name lifter on social media, you might get so many co- comments that it's oh yeah, it's going to be difficult. You could send someone a DM, an email, but you know, I think uh, Dave Hoff's girlfriend Kellen posted that you know Dave gets so many messages, he gets so many you know DMs, mm-hmm. so many Facebook private messages. I was trying to send him a private message to ask him to be a, a, a featured lifter at autism meet last year. Yeah. And I know Dave, I've talked to him. I'm, I'm not saying I'm his friend or anything. We're acquaintances through powerlifting. Mm-hmm. But if I, if he knew I was sending him a message, he wouldn't necessarily purposefully ignore it. He would probably, right. you know, take that under consideration. But sure. because he just has such a, you know, a, inundated, with inundated with messages and people asking him for advice and yeah. asking him questions. And it's like, it is so easy to do now that it, you know, some of that is lost. But it, in general, you do have access to those big name lifters that, you know, in the past you might only get an art. Maybe, maybe you get an article in Powerlifting USA, mm-hmm. and even in the early days of the internet, maybe someone would write an article on you know Elite FTS blog. Right. Yeah, and, and that's why they started the training logs so that you could kind of see what was going on. Right, but there wasn't as many videos then no, as there is now. Definitely. I mean, and I still enjoy enjoy the logs on Elite FTS. Mm-hmm. They you know now will often you know embed in some YouTube and Instagram mm-hmm. videos. Yep. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the start of that. Um, it's certainly a lot 
easier to find meets. I mean, again, I started ChicagoPowerlifting.com mm-hmm. as a college student because there was no, you know, one find it resource for Chicago meets. And I thought, right. wow, what? I'll just put together a really simple website. I'm no web designer. Mm-hmm. Still up today. If you'd like to check it out, I, I still keep it eh, relatively updated as far as meets. I need to update some of the gyms because some of the gyms have closed and new ones have opened. Yeah. Um, we're still here, so that's important. But <laughs> but other gyms have closed in the meantime. Um, but I wanted, you know, kind of a one-stop resource for finding information about Chicago powerlifting, right. where the teams are, where the gyms are, when the meets are, where they are. Um, it's, it's way easier now because every federation has, you know, a pretty up-to-date website. And, of course, as well, they post on social media. Yeah, and, and the nice thing, too, is, you know, you're talking about gyms. I mean... You literally can go and see some of your favorite lifters, or not even favorite lifters, but just see anywhere in your area, and you can click on the gym. You know, I'm thinking about Instagram, right? And it, it's geotagged, and you find out exactly where it is, and you can go find places to train. Right, so and you can no see people. Yeah, and you can find lifters that train there, and their videos they've mm-hmm. posted on social media. You can kind of, okay, you can see who else is tagged Monster Garage Gym, mm-hmm. and who else is tagged 2XL Powerlifting, and mm-hmm. what are the lifters that lift there? Um. You know, we talked about this with Powerlifting USA, how you would wait sometimes months to see your meet results in there if the meet director was slow. Yep. I mean, literally, you can get results instantaneously on online and yep. on social media now. I mean, at the very least for individual lifters that post on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Yeah. Um, but even on the Federation websites, you know, if if I'm on my game and the results are good, I could post them on our website that night if I wanted to. Yeah, and if you're utilizing some of the programming that's out there, I know you guys use a different one, this stuff can immediately be uploaded to Open Powerlifting now. Right, yeah, I know Open Powerlifting has has their own program, Mm -hmm. um, and I've had a couple people ask me about that, so I'll take a little sidebar and address that. Unfortunately, it's a a program that works online at this point, and we're talking about how so interconnected our lives are with everything like all our tvs are connected online all the time i mean there's no dialing into the internet now it's like you're just always connected they're always watching you right exactly you know people used to talk about how oh i never i don't want my phones bugged and now it's like oh hello you know dude alexa like okay sidebar that it happens at least once a week where i will say something to my wife and alexa picks it up and just starts doing something if i have accidentally ordered food through Alexa because I was talking to Nick about it. My brother-in-law's son ordered stuff off of Alexa through yes. Amazon before they put their their password on there. <laughs> and it's like, you know, hello, uh, listening device. Yes. You know, what's the weather today? Yeah. Or my, my phone. This is one that, that drives me crazy. It, only because it just, it's so weird where I will have a conversation with Nick about something and it pops up in one of my feeds. I have thought about that. I need to do it like a it's just a s- experiment on that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting way off on a tangent now, but I would like to do an experiment where like something that I haven't been searching online and I don't need and don't want, like just start talking about it. Never typing into my computer, mm-hmm. never typing my phone, but just start talking about like, boy, I need you know, I need new windows or I need you know, something what that you I need is copious amounts of sex toys. That's what you need. You need copious amounts of sex toys. Oh, my gosh. And it's going to pop up in your feed now. It's going to show up on your feed because it's in your voice. That's fine. So if that shows up, on, but you need to do it more than a couple of times. It needs to be like, hey, all day long I'm, I'm looking for washer and dryers, washer and dryers. And I live in a condo where I cannot have my own washer and dryer. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an experiment, not when I'm busy with a meat, but I'm going to do an experiment where I just start talking about something that I have no intention of buying yeah. and seeing if that shows up and, oh, you know. 
it one hundred percent. Okay, well, we'll we'll do a little experiment. On it one hundred percent. Well, I I actually had this conversation with uh, with my boss where he he got a call from a number that he didn't recognize the area code. So he walked into our VP of sales and said, "Hey, type this in," and he typed in area code and the number popped up. <laughs> he didn't he didn't even tell him the number. He said, "Hey, type right. this in." He types in the area code. It was wild. Right, and it was a sales call. I'm sure an Autobot. Uh, actually, no. It was his. Uh, it was his brother calling from a hotel. It was so weird, and it was like that's that's wild. Wow, it's absolutely wild. I'm refreshing I, my Facebook feed right now to see what starts popping up on the no. wish thing. We're like way getting off topic here. We but, are. We are. Let's go back to. to but the nonetheless, let, so that's social I think, media. I think those are the positive things of social media, and I think overall, mm-hmm. if used appropriately and doesn't consume you, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. I do think social media can be a positive. I would say in general for the gym. Uh, I, for me personally, I think I could probably use it less, but it's hard because it's one of those things that's it's connected into the business and personal. And it's mm-hmm. like the personal and the business are almost one and the same for a lot of people, especially if you're a business owner. Yeah. But I will say that I get very good traction on Facebook. When I post that registrations are up for one of our meets, like clockwork, I'll get five or six registrations within the hour, wow. like literally within the hour, because I get an email notification when somebody registers for meets. So if I post on social media and I'm on my computer, I can almost guarantee within the hour I'm going to get a half dozen registrations, especially if I'm kind of late putting up registration. If I, you know, maybe said, oh, I'll have it up by the end of May and I don't get it done till the middle of May, like there's kind of that stored up demand mm-hmm. and people know that sometimes our meets sell out. So boom, it. It, I will get registrations immediately. Nice. I mean, we put up our women's intro and women's empowerment meet registrations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did that Friday. Um, we already have nine women signed up for the intro clinic, and I think 10 or so signed up for the meet. That's dope. That's and awesome. That's, if you're interested, you can go on apf-illinois.com. We have a women's intro to powerlifting event shameless on plug. yeah shameless plug <laughs> on uh, January eighteenth, and we have our women's empowerment meet on February sixteenth, mm-hmm. run by the lovely and talented Jackie Stone, whom will be teaching the intro clinic in January. Nice, very nice. But as soon as I put up that registration, I knew I had some people that emailed me and asked about registration. I mean, I just put out notice for our meets for the next half of 2020, mm-hmm. one of which, and I think beginners look for things earlier than regular lifters I because, so. because regular lifters kind of know the schedule if they've been around for a while of the local meets. Yep. I've in May, we've, we're going to do another beginners meet. I've already had two or three emails on that. People asking about registration, wow. more about the meet. Wow. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the effect of social media. I mean, yeah. I posted up and literally within a few days, you got people asking to sign up. Yeah. That's awesome, man. What, what else do you find on social media? Oh, well, <laughs> the negative. Yeah, let's go through some of the negative That's, things because yeah. there's definitely some negatives. I, I don't think it, it, it's definitely not all positive. Mm-hmm. This is probably the thing that gets me the most. Social media prioritize often followers and popularity over actual success. Clout, baby. Knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. The number of followers you have on Instagram is often more important than the content of what you're putting out. Or the number of kilos you're lifting on the platform. Sure. And don't get me wrong. There's some big name lifters that have also a big social media following. Nothing wrong with that. Some of whom don't necessarily have that much good to say. But True. Let's be honest here. The best lifters aren't always the best coaches. 
Best I mean, athletes are, period. Right. I mean, let's look in sports. I mean, was Phil, Phil Jackson played in the NBA. Yeah. But was he a superstar? Ew. No. Ew. Has Michael Jordan ever been the greatest coach or even GM in basketball? No. I mean, he's been a great businessman. He mm-hmm. was an unbelievable basketball player, plausibly the best ever, or one of the best ever. But again, he knows the business of sports, not necessarily the winning of it outside of playing. And I think it is difficult for someone who is so talented in a sport to be a coach in it because they have not necessarily gone through the struggles that an mm-hmm. athlete that struggled to get every kilo. I, I would agree. You know, an average genetic lifter. Yes. Um, I do think that, you know, teams and training groups and gym <sighs> communities are certainly less emphasized than they, I, I can tell you as someone who was around 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, it used to be when you went to a meet, mm-hmm. Everybody was, pretty, with, with the exception of a few, everybody was almost associated with at least a crew that maybe trained at a commercial gym, or more likely they were with a team. It's the, it's the virtual teams that I see now. Like, I see teams still online, but it's, it's, you've got one person in Portland, you got one person in Des Moines, you got one person in, you know, South Beach, and, and there's a few others that are spread throughout. They had a concentration of, you know, one area, but I'm like, uh, that that to me makes no sense. Well, and it's interesting, and I'm not hating on online coaches because I do a little bit of distance coaching, and I don't even say coaching. I do distance programming. Coaching yeah. is to me, coaching is in person. Yeah, you could call it online coaching. To me, it's online programming. That's just maybe just you know splitting hairs. A uh, bit, yeah, I might but... be I might be splitting hairs. To me, if I'm coaching somebody, I'm physically in their presence. You know, and, and I've I've watched you. I've never watched you do online programming, but I've watched you coach, and I've watched you. Uh, with clients here at the gym, you are engaged, it compl- like one hundred percent engaged with that person, their movements, their body, like what's going on, so sure. you can provide them feedback the entire time. Watching a video is not the same as watching somebody in person, hundred percent. And what I see a lot with social media, and I I follow a lot of local area Chicago lifters because they've done our meets, and then mm-hmm. they follow us, so I follow them on social media. A lot of them have coaches, which may be fine coaches, but they're in like Florida or they're in California Mm -hmm. or they're in the Northeast. And it's like, why are you hiring an online coach whom you've probably never met or maybe met at one meet rather than maybe looking around you at all the really good power? And I'm not saying me. Mm -mm. I'm saying just in general, a lot of really good power lifters and powerlifting coaches in Chicago. There's a lot of flavors around here. (laughs) That's what you want. That you could actually go see. And have them watch you in person. So that's what's, to me, kind of curious. If I Now, I have, full disclosure, I've hired Brian Carroll of 1020 Life to do some of my programming. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say he's my coach, though. He right. Was, he, he wrote my programming, and I, have, I had met Brian Carroll. Mm-hmm. Him and I go back to the early 2000s at APF Meets, and we had him here for a clinic, which I thought was super valuable, and I thought that was the day clinic was more valuable than most of the programming I got from them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm talking about somebody actually coaching me, you know, it's my wife, it's Jen Gimmel, mm-hmm. it's our teammates here mm-hmm. watching me and giving me feedback. It's not somebody putting exercises, sets, reps, percentages in an Excel document. Right. So I think that to me is a negative is that the in-person has been de-emphasized. From from the coaching perspective, I would say so, yes. And a lot of lifters, you know, they're kind of – maybe this is just a a, a a cultural thing in general, but I think it's related to social media. 
you see a lot of lifters that lift by themselves with their headphones or earbuds in the whole time Mm -hmm. and spend most of the time between sets on their phones Mm -hmm. and videotaping. I mean, we used to have this kid here who's a pretty strong kid, videotaped every one of his freaking sets. His form sucked. He was very strong because he was a gymnast, Mm -hmm. but his form sucked. And sometimes he would ask somebody to help him video, but he never once asked any lifter here. I'm not saying me. I'm not trying to put myself over, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of strong lifters here. Never once asked anybody here a question like, what do you think my form looks like? Hmm. I'm kind of of the philosophy at this point in my you know, strength coaching gym owner career. I don't give advice unless asked, unless somebody looks like they're going to hurt themselves. Okay. So unless somebody asks me, they probably don't want to hear it, and I don't give them the advice. Makes sense. So I think that is ingrained in with social media that you have so many people that, you know, are seeing maybe good content out there and maybe think I like what they do, but I think, you know, they could get some of that from somebody that they could actually see in person. Yeah, I I think sometimes people, you know, to your point, they confuse good content production with good athlete production. And and they even could be good athlete production. Very but again, I, I just don't think that, you know, exercises on a sheet of paper are the same as training with people in person and getting real-time feedback. Like, even if I immediately send my videos to my, quote, online coach. I'm still done with my stuff. Right. And, I, yeah, and, I, and they give me feedback in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, I can implement the next workout. But what if when I change that, something else on my body changes? Yep. And, hey, I need to tweak my foot position or tweak my hand position or tweak the way I'm squeezing my lats or my core. You don't get that from an online coach. And that's not to say you can't be successful with it. And, you know, I can appreciate people that have made a career out of that. Um, But there's also a lot of people, you know, spitting out cookie-cutter programs that their actual coach wrote for them. But then they copied and pasted and sent to some unknowing person on Instagram And there's folks that make a lot of money doing that, and shame on them. I know a local guy here who made thousands of dollars sending out a special deadlift program that was a cookie-cutter program that uh, someone else had written for this individual, and because he is a strong deadlifter, he spat it out to a bunch of people that paid 50 bucks for it. Hmm. You still live around here? Uh, I will have to leave that as. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, th- I I I know who this person yeah, is. Yeah, we'll leave that as unanswered. Yep. Um, and I do think there's an instant gratification of social media. It's like, <sighs> you know, I want to post a lift, and I, I post my lift sometimes. So full disclosure, so does Bane. When we do a meet, sometimes we post our lifts. I'll post how we did. I'll thank people that helped me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with Superior that. Superior handoffs. <laughs> right. But there is this kind of instant gratification with social media that's like, you know, you're just like lapping up all the likes and, and thumbs up and hearts. Been, been there. I, I, I do. I'm not going to lie. It, it, there is. And, and it's, it's scientific. I mean, the, the, the dopamine does come through during that time. When you're, when you're seeing those things right. hit your screen, you're just like, oh, man, this is, this is awesome. Well, I love and this. The, and Instagram even plays upon that because they won't give you all the likes at once. Correct. If you didn't know this, the way that their algorithm or the way that they're... All hail the algorithm. Yeah. The way that it works is, you know, they'll kind of like spill it out slowly. If you get 100 likes, they'll spill it out to you, especially if you have notifications on. They'll spill it out to you over the course of an hour so you don't get all the likes right at but, once. But you'll, but you'll get them. Like if you, if you get likes early, they'll spit you out four or five, like right away, like boom, boom oh, man, this right. is, it's, it's already trending. You know, I'm right. already viral. And yeah, but, but you're right. Is the, the way the algorithm is set up is 
it will just be in chunks. And if you go back to it, you're like, oh, man, I got 20 likes on this. I didn't even realize I got it. Right. Could also so the, we I, could probably continue to just rag on social media, but we both use it, so it's not like we can totally hate on it. It's true. We're but, Insta-famous. Uh, no, not Insta-famous at all. <laughs> and that's another one. Let's, let's continue on the negative track as long as you use that term. First, first of all, sir, I was featured on Dead Till, I, Till I'm Dead at one point. Thank you very much. Were you? I was, actually. Wow. Only because I'm friends with another lover who's uh, on there all the time. Um, you know, you've got some inst- what I call insta-famous mm-hmm. lifters and YouTube superstars who have maybe not accomplished that much in their lifting. And I kind of talked about this already, mm-hmm. yep. but they post a lot of heavy, 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 oh, constant yeah. heavy training videos. Mm-hmm. And it's like their training is better than what they do in the meet. Mm-hmm. Or they just don't ever do a meet. Which, to be fair... I don't know that anybody's required to lift in a powerlifting meet, but to me, I don't know how you can go around and say, well, I'm well, that, the strongest deadlifter when... So that's the debate, right? If you don't compete in a powerlifting meet, are you truly a powerlifter? No. Okay. You're not a powerlifter unless you compete in a powerlifting meet. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you're a bad person, but that'd bit. be like saying, I'm a bodybuilder, but I've never... I, I did some bodybuilding. It's like, no, you didn't. You trained maybe a bodybuilding style. You. I do, tra- I do bodybuilding too. <sighs> You trained for size, but to me, you're not a bodybuilder unless you compete in bodybuilding. You're not That's a fair. powerlifter unless you compete in powerlifting. Okay. And if you don't powerlift anymore, if you're retired, I guess you're a retired powerlifter. Or, but what if you bench 400 in high school? Yeah, then you're just a dude that likes to tell me about lifting, and then that's why I don't talk to them. <laughs> that's why I don't bring up my lifting to people I don't know. So let's just talk about the impact, because I could really go off on a tangent on the negative. It, fair, fair. And I, I like to have fun with it, but the impact, I think, is... Uh, Huge. I mean, I think you can directly correlate the rise of raw lifting we talked about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and the huge growth in powerlifting along with the spread of powerlifting through social media. 100%. And we talked about this, I think, and it was one of our three reasons we saw the growth in, in raw lifting. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think it's partly social acceptance and females, you know, mm-hmm. getting into more lifting weights through CrossFit and other means. Yep. Um, I do think the fact that raw lifting became a thing made it more accessible, mm-hmm. and that is part of the growth. But I think social media and being able to see what powerlifting is and how to get into it mm-hmm. has been a huge you know, growth on powerlifting. Yeah, agreed. I agree. And, and when you have a weekend like this past one where you know, all over is you know, this massive, massive meet with you know, great production value and, and – it's an environment and an atmosphere that I think people want to right. try to experience. You know, I think this is a experiential culture we're in now. And, and I, that's, that's a great point that I, I didn't, I don't know that I wrote that in my notes and I didn't, uh, you know, express that when I was thinking about this earlier, but I do think one of the reasons why we have seen growth in say our beginners meets mm-hmm. and why our local meets in this area have done well is because I do think because people tend to spend so much time online in mm-hmm. general. I mean, we all spend a lot of time on our computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our jobs are on our computer, where our recreation time can be on our computer. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people that want a hobby that is experiential. Mm-hmm. And going to a powerlifting meet is an experience. Yep, 100%. Especially if you lift by yourself, I think even more so. Because you're used to lifting by yourself, it's a bigger deal to go lift in front of other people. And to have your family and friends watch you. I mean, we used to joke at Franz Gym on a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. we'd have, 
you know, competition equipment, if we wanted to use them, competition kilo plates, and as many judges <laughs> as a powerlifting meet sitting there around the monolift. That's true. And we could have paid the 85 bucks and sanctioned a little mini meet almost every weekend at Franz Gym. And so we probably competed less frequently, and it wasn't quite as big of a deal. It was more of a, a testing ground for us yeah. rather than an experience I think it can be for lifters now. No, I, I I agree, and that's the that, that's what I keep looking back at when I look at these meets, and I look at um, like body power, you know, like they have over in, in Europe, and uh, we see a lot of our friends from the the British Powerlifting Union. That that is a big experience to do a meet there, right? The Arnold is a, is an experience to do something like right. that, and, and so that's just a, I feel like most meets are moving in that direction. And I do think that if we go back to the positive, I think that's a positive. I think if, Huge. if it's bringing more people to the sport to experience something, a real thing, mm-hmm. not on a phone, or at least not all on their phone. Yeah. It'll, maybe, it'll be documented on the phone. It'll be but. documented on the phone by their friend. Yes. But, yes. you know, experiencing a real event with, you know, real competitors. And I think that's, you can directly link that to, yeah, last weekend. They created an event that people wanted to be a part of with USAPL Raw mm-hmm. Nationals. Yep. And the APF myself and others would be wise to take some lessons from what they did there. I'm not going to run a five platform. I mean, even if I wanted to, I couldn't draw 1300 lifters to a meet to be fair yet. <laughs> we'll May- just up your Instagram usage and go from there. Yeah. I, although I did, I do think WPC worlds could be pretty big next year, but yeah. I, I'm not going to run a five platform meet. No. Um, that's just not the way I want to do things, but some of the other things they did, I, I do like, Yeah. and I do think raw lifting has been, something that has been super popular on social media and the US APL, USPA brand of lifting, mm-hmm. I think has become popular because of the growth of social media partly yep. because it's, hey, it's people that tend to work out by themselves or work out at commercial gyms, sometimes in powerlifting gyms. Mm-hmm. And it's one bar, one set of racks versus your old school lifters. Definitely. I mean, we were always looking for that specialty monolith, specialty squat bar, mm-hmm. specialty deadlift bar, that was more of a thing. When you would look for a powerlifting gym, you weren't looking for ER racks necessarily. No. You were looking for monolith, competition benches, and competition bars. Yep. No, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Bane. So yeah. from an impact standpoint, yes, there are 1,300 lifters at USA Parallel Raw, Raw mm-hmm. Nationals. Very impressive. How many of those people do you think will still be powerlifting 10 years from now? So... Are you asking how many will still be powerlifting or how many will still be powerlifting raw? I'm asking in general. How many? Okay, so we had 2019 USAPL Raw Nationals, mm-hmm. 1,300 lifters. We'll average it out. Yep. Of those 1,300 lifters, how many of them will do a meet in the 2030s? In the 2030s? So a little more than 10 years from 10%. Now. 10%. And I think— And, and I, I attribute that to uh, age, life, injury, uh, death— going to happen sure and uh the continued advancement of both lifting technology and this generation and what they want to experience some of them are just going to come into a they're going to walk into a gym one day and they i mean theoretically it could be a ray williams and somebody who you know it's supposedly at the top of their game and is just going to go i'm done doing this and they're just going to walk out there are lifters that are going to do that. And so I, I, I would say 10% in the 2030s. So you're looking, you know. And I would say that if you looked at that same statistic, and it wasn't as big, but mm-hmm. maybe from, you know, 2005, 2010, I would say the attrition rate was still high, yeah. still over 50%. Yep. 
but I don't think it was as high as it is now. And I think that's kind of your Instagram millennial brand of raw lifting. But but was the average age at a big meet like you're talking about? I mean, I would say they're mid to low twenties. No, I mean the eight. It's interesting. I wish I could do some statistics. You know, if somebody was yeah. smart, smarter than me, and they could look at results and look at ages. I'd say you used to get a lot more lifters over the age of 40. If only there was a database that had all this information. Uh, yeah, I know. It's just a matter of looking at it, I suppose. Uh, I know. I'm just messing with you. But I, I do think that, and I, and I make this comparison. Okay, Texas high school powerlifting has some of the biggest powerlifting meets in the history of the sport up yep. until this point, and even still has big meets. Mm-hmm. Most, most, I'm not saying some, most never powerlift after high school. Yeah. It's just something they do in high school. It's like football mm-hmm. or baseball, and most kids don't go on to play college sports. Some, yeah. and especially because there is no, up until recently, there's really been no college powerlifting. Or I shouldn't say no. There has not been as a plethora of college powerlifting as there has been high school powerlifting, at least in Texas. It's It's been all, as far as I can tell, it's been all club teams. Yeah. And, and so it's not sanctioned sports. Like you look at, you know, McKendry, you know, our right. friend Guillermo. Uh, you know, that's an actual sanctioned sport at McKendree University. Right, so, that they can give, well, maybe not scholarships. Oh, did, did they he can. Say, they okay, can. they can give scholarships. Wow, yes, okay. Sir. And which is, which is also... Maybe because it's not NCAA at this point. Right. And, and so I would, and I also wouldn't recommend they do that because NCAA is a corrupt organization in and of itself. Scumbags. Anyway. Um, but I do think it's similar to that where you have somebody, it's just something they did and something they mm-hmm. do for a little while in their 20s. Yep. And I do think that, as we talked about with our equipped lifting episode, some of those people, if they want the next challenge, are going to get into equipped lifting, mm-hmm. and they may continue. I think an equipped lifter is more likely to stick around the sport than a raw lifter. Hot take. I would I would say you're right because it's just they're they're more fully invested into it. They're more bought in. They're more likely more likely to train with a team. Mm-hmm. They're more likely. Well, I'd say generally speaking, they're more likely to invest more money into things. But gosh, when you think about the money spent on squat shoes, SBD knee sleeves, SBD singlet, uh, yeah. SBD belt. It's essentially the same. They've spent as much yeah. money as I have. And I, I'll tell you what, my canvas squat suit is going to last a long, longer time than those knee sleeves. And, and I would say, too, you know, get, I don't want to dive too much into equip lifting and let people listen to that episode. You are more vested because you, you really cannot train in gear alone. It's you very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, not not to the degree to be incredibly successful. You you can do it. I just don't think you're going to be as successful as you possibly could be. Right. So I think in all, I mean, the, the impact has been huge on the sport. Mm-hmm. I huge. think I think you know if you if you throw it in a bag and shake it around and you you take out of it, I think overall it's been positive. Yeah. And I think some I think some lifters in our sport would take the opposing view. They would say that. Social media has brought a brand of lifting they don't like, and it's overall been negative. I don't take that. I think there's negatives and positives. I do think that the sport has become more mainstream. It's still not mainstream. No. But it's definitely become less of the, you know, niche, cultish, underground sport it was <laughs> when I started. I mean, it truly yeah. was, but it was also only equipped. And so I think that was part of it, that, it you know, it's kind of this weird sport where you put on, you know, at the very least, tight polyester gear Mm. and in the apf we're wearing tight canvas squat suits and denim bench shirts put on that thing i like yeah 
here's more of a global. I, I, I know how to shut Eric down. So some, yeah. some of the weird yeah. shit I say. Yeah, my wife's comment was Bane's dirty. <laughs> That's not wrong. You're not wrong, Jack. I, I went back and listened to some of the past episodes, and yeah, I think I even missed some of your comments. <laughs> yeah, that I just flat ignored them. That's. Uh, I'm used to that though. Like you, that's typically how you you handle me. So here's a more global question, Bane. Yep. Social media right now, as we've talked about, is totally ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. But, and then we have – I follow a guy online called Dave Rubin. He does, a, a ironically, a YouTube you know, show called mm-hmm. The Rubin Report okay. on politics. And, you know, I, yeah, I would say politics is probably the best way to describe it. For the last couple of years, he's done an entire social media, computer, internet fast for an entire – I think it's month. He takes a month vacation. Mm-hmm. He turns off his phone, locks it in a box, turns off his computer, goes somewhere tropical or somewhere on vacation, and just doesn't even look at it for a whole month. Hmm. I do think we can get too much social media and too much internet. Will there be, you know, we talked about gear, the pendulum swinging, where there'll be a blowback on social media. Where Will it get to where people are not constantly reaching for their pocket at stoplights to check their Instagram feed? So that's a good question, and right now I say nothing points me to yes. Not saying it won't happen, but nothing points me to yes, and the reason I say that is because it's so ingrained with this is this is how we communicate, this is how we share. I get what you're saying, that, that you know, will there be blowback at some point? Possibly. <coughs> but I, I truly believe that because, you know, you look at Instagram, Facebook, I know it's for the old people, uh, Snapchat, you know, every, everything is... How can I experience more? How can I experience more? It's what social media was designed for is how can I not be there but still experience things? And so the the hotter take is why, you know, Vine was big for a bit. It died, and then TikTok came and replaced it, right? I don't even know what those two things are. So the glory of having kids. And so, so people try to cram as much as they can. I would postulate that. Once autonomous vehicles get a little more, so I'm getting to my work stuff now, right? Once autonomous vehicles get a little more mainstream, because you'll never have a true level five autonomy where there is no driver behind the wheel, nor is there any wheel. Uh, well, okay. Howard and I actually talked about that this morning. To me, and maybe as someone in kind of the industry of this, to me, it's got to be all or nothing. And I know we're going off on a tangent now, but this I think... Is, we'll, we'll bring it back. We'll, we'll bring it back, because I, I know where Bane's going with this. To me, it's got to be all or nothing. As soon as you introduce the human element... Like, computers can't predict the unpredictability of humans. So to me, if we want autonomous driving vehicles, they have to all be autonomous driving vehicles. Happen. And and here, and here is why. What are you going to do when that car or that tractor or whatever rolls over and kills a family of four? A family of four that knows a senator. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I'm not saying there's not going to be people in the car. I'm just saying that... Behind the, the wheels is what I'm talking about. The driving of the car would have to be totally controlled by all computers because as soon as you have an, a, one human mm-hmm. driving erratically drunk or something like mm-hmm. that, I don't know that the computers are going to be able to process that. That's why AI is so difficult mm-hmm. when you have to predict humans because we're in, it's like you can't inject logic into an illogical situation. So that, and then what happens when, again, there is a malfunction, tire blows, whatever it is, and those completely computerized Internet of Things vehicles, it, everything completely goes awry. Sure. There, not, there, there's a liability as an insurance perspective. Do I think at some point it will happen? I do. I mean, I'm not saying we're not going to have people st- – if there's – Not my lifetime, no. If there's fully autonomous vehicles, I'm not saying there's not still going to be a human in there. 
I think even for transporting stuff, like in your industry. Yeah, exactly. That, I still think there will always be somebody there because you got to hook up and mm-hmm. you got to hook up and detach trailers. You got to figure out how to go to way stations. I mean, Bane could probably go through a list of 20 things that a human needs to do. Correct. So, so level five autonomy, I don't think, again, ever is going to happen. I believe level four, where you have a person who is there in case shit hits the fan. Sure. And that handles is, other yeah. small logistical items. Correct. But I guess my point was that I don't think it works unless everybody is in a self-driving car, maybe sitting Fair. there Fair. and is break glass in case of emergency. Right. So, so the reason I bring all that up is people try to cram as much as they can into the hours that they are awake, whatever it is. You know, I don't know what your schedule is. Mine is I am awake for roughly it's fucking busy. Yeah. I'm awake for roughly 18 hours a day. So in that 18 hours, I cram as much shit as I can. Sure. And so that is, you know, social media, that is, that is email, that is food, as much food as I can. Um, family time, whatever. I don't feel that the social media aspect, and this includes powerlifting, is ever going to go away because while I may step away from the platform, I still want to be connected to it or the other things I am interested in. Yeah, that's an interesting thought that, you know, and I've thought this as well. Like, gosh, my drive to work here is the same 20, 25, 30 minutes mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. I'd love it. Like, I'd just sit there and scroll on my phone for 20 minutes yep. or, shoot, take up my laptop and write some emails or even I don't do emails on my phone, but, you know, sit there and do some quote work or even just recreate or watch YouTube videos for 20, 30 minutes. It's really what what else could I do? Because I normally have to do that when I'm on when I'm in the bathroom and, you know, as fun as poo booking is, I would prefer not to be doing that. Sure. I, I do think there just has to be a statue. And I get what you're saying. And I don't think you're, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do think there but has to. I'm not saying I'm right now. I'm offended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think there has to be a blowback where it's like people will just get like over social media. And it's like, it's too much. Um, I, I already see it happening where uh, people are taking social media fasts. And they're saying, you know, I'm getting off Facebook or Instagram completely because it's taken over their life. I see individuals who do it on a mass scale. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. And that's – you could say that's a topic of our time. So I don't know that Bain or I could either predict that. But it's interesting. And and when that – if there's a – let's say there's a correction in the marketplace of social media. Oh, look at us. Sounds so smart. Right. I mean, because let's remember, people, MySpace was the biggest thing in social media yep. 15 years ago or yep. maybe – I don't know, maybe a little more than that. It was the thing. Not MySpace. No. Maybe the argument could be made, well, maybe Facebook will be gone. Maybe Instagram will be gone. But maybe the next thing TikTok. will be there. TikTok. What? Okay. Describe what is TikTok to those of us over the age of 20? It's little six to 10 second videos with music laid over it. It's okay. bullshit. So it's kind TikTok of, is bullshit. So it's, <laughs> so it's kind of like Twitter, but with videos and music. Yes. Or the original intended purpose of right. Twitter. And Vine was the same thing. It was six second videos of just real quick, boom, here, here's this. Okay. And yeah, it's, it's bullshit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know all the social media ones. I mean, I use Twitter sparingly to watch live events. Recording. Yeah. I don't do any tweeting at all. And <laughs> to me, Twitter is like the comment section of Facebook. Yeah. Which I don't like. Or the comment section of Instagram, same thing. So, like, there's nothing interesting to look at other than words. the comment section. Other than just words on the page of people arguing about, you know, is there anything more useless than arguing with people you've never met in your life about politics? <laughs> You, of course, are going to change their mind by telling them how stupid they are. I just, you know, I just, I, I certainly have my political views. 
although I tend to be someone who can see both sides of most equations. Oh, yeah. And I occasionally like to read articles of both sides of an aisle. But, like, do you really think you're going to change someone's mind by arguing on Facebook? It, it, no. I, and I will tell you if, you, if you're listening to this and you think you will, you won't. Now, if you do it the right way, you can at least give it or get to someone to the point they say, okay, I don't agree with you, but I can see how you would get your head that far of your ass if you think that way. I just don't think that happens on social media, though. No. I think that's more likely it's to rare. happen if you have a, a one-to-one conversation with somebody. Like, my wife and I don't agree on everything politically. That's okay. You could be married to someone who votes for someone to we, be up. We don't agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we we don't agree on all things political. I think if you actually if we actually sat down and went through things issue by issue, I think we probably agree on more than we disagree, and we probably agree on at least the values we find to be the most important in yes. life. Yes, and that's how Nick and I are. Right, but if you're arguing with somebody on social media, no matter if it's powerlifting or politics, I don't think you're most likely to change their mind. More, you're not, and like generally speaking, you're not going to convince poppy raw lifters that equipped lifting is the way to go, even though they may end up being equipped lifters and eat those words. Yeah, uh, lifter here, Joey Johnson said he will quote never lift in gear, although he won't, he wants to quote try a bench shirt just the tip after his meet this weekend. So he wants to quote try, and you think if he benches, you know, 500s and be like, oh, well, that's bullshit, I'm not going to do that again, or like, all right, oh. Maybe I another, should do a powerlifting meet in a bench shirt. Another, another tangent here. So, so you you were in and out of the conversation he and I were having about equipment. I have tried a bench shirt all of twice. So of course I'm an expert now. Online coaching, DM me two fifty a month. Um, I, I explained to him like, listen, I, I tried it. I explained what it's like to to the best of my ability. Again, very minimal experience. Um. But it was, like, it, it was cool because the, the second time I was in it – now, granted, I also have Barzim Vaziri, Steve Brock, and Sean Coblin teach me how to use a stupid thing. Right. Who are all almost experts at benching in a shirt. Yeah. I mean, these guys are some of the best. If not experts. Yeah. Some of the best in the world. And so you can't ask for a better teacher. I touched 500 the first time. At that time, my best bench raw was 365. I think you were there during that part. His eyes light up. When he right. hears that, and he's like, "Oh, I, I could probably bench in six hundred in a year." I'm like, "Yeah, you could if you got in the shirt." <laughs> well, and for context, I, I don't. I'm not going to hide. People kind of used Love to hide. People, it's interesting because in equipment, people kind of used to hide what they'd get out of gear, and it's like, yeah. why wouldn't you like say, "Yeah, my raw lifting stinks, and I just maximize my use of equipment." Like that's the point, right? Right, and I, mean, I think it's because people. They, they, they oh, say, I don't get that much from the shirts. It's like, well, I'm not taking that many drugs, you know, just a little bit for recovery. It, it listen, the the gear helps you lift more. It is what it is. If you have figured it out, if you bench 135 without a shirt and you bench 900 with it, more power to you. Honestly, I'm more impressed by that, right? Because you have figured out the technique with that stupid thing. Sure. Anyway. Okay, Ben. Any final thoughts on social media? Social media is bullshit. Um, no, I. I Twitter is bullshit. I'll it, say that. It is. It is. Uh, it, I, uh, let's go through the ranking here. To me, uh, Facebook I find the most valuable because I'm an old person. That's fair. A close second, 1A, 1B, is probably YouTube. Okay. Because you can find a lot of good videos on YouTube. Okay. Instagram's third, but okay. it's a lot of 
lot of stupid videos and stupid pictures that I don't really want to look at. Okay. But at least it's only pictures and videos. Uh, we'll stop looking at my feed, and then you'll you'll find better stuff. So It's fair. <laughs> anyway, I, I would say, to be, to be very frank, I really enjoy Instagram because that, for me, gives me a lot of inspiration to go look for other stuff. So I see something I like. I see something I don't like. I go start digging other places, whether it is down the Google machine, on YouTube, whatever. Uh, YouTube is definitely a, a favorite of mine for a variety of reasons. One, from powerlifting. Two, because I'm still a soccer fan. I can get a lot of stuff from there. So I like that I'd be able to do a lot of catch up through that. And again, going experiential, I can pop open my uh, iPad. I can watch soccer and powerlifting highlights while I'm in the shower. It works very well for me. Facebook. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I do, man. Uh, why? What are you watching in the shower? I just take the shower. Weird. Oh, yeah. I don't even. I don't even listen to anything. Not maximizing your time. Uh, and, and then, I do and, think in the shower. I have a lot of good thoughts in the shower. A lot of good noted. Like, <laughs> sometimes I have to like get out of the shower and like immediately write things down. Usually, when I'm taking my shower in the morning, I'm thinking about like the ten thousand things that I need to like accomplish in that day. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then Facebook, and and that's really bad. I don't even do Twitter. Like, I have a Twitter handle. It's yeah, I, I use but... it for live events. Like, I watch if I'm watching the Bears game, I'll bring up Twitter to find out, like, mm. inside info from writers I follow. Gotcha. I don't – what other social media is there that we're not thinking of? So, I, oh, I have, the, a, I have the, a Snapchat. Is Snapchat considered social media? It is. Okay. It is. So, I – I thought so, – I th- and I, I, I'm, I'm being 100% honest here, folks. It's fine. I honestly thought Snapchat was just for sending dick pics because <laughs> – you send the picture and it disappears. Like, why else would you need? Unless you screenshot it or save it, in which case it's out there for. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I hunter, I get that. I'm just, why else would you need an app that the message disappears after you send it, other than to send naughty messages? You know, I, I have this conversation with my children, right? Okay, Bane. Let's let's have a little aside here. Yep. And we'll wrap this up pretty soon. But God, I'm just freaking scared of my children getting on social media, yeah. especially my daughter. And we'll talk about this in our females and social media episode yep. in a few episodes. But for every like creepy uh, bear dick pic mm-hmm. power lifters get on their Facebook PMs, mm-hmm. your average female power lifter probably gets a hundred DMs at least, if not a thousand, if they're really popular. My my daughter is 13. I have had to respond to messages. Oh, that just makes me want to punch my hand right through the wall behind you. I, I, I understand. And, and what, I mean, it's a plaster wall. Of course, you're a white guy. You want to punch it. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> my name is not Kyle, <laughs> but I do drink Monster. Yay. So, you know, it's all, okay, it's all and I, up. And I, uh, I should go look up what the expert's name is, but I, I, I read an article and watched a couple of videos from an expert who talked about what he considers somewhat of a crisis with young people mm-hmm. with mental health. Yep. And one of his recommendations, he had two recommendations, mm-hmm. um, and one of them was to not allow your children to have social media until they are in high school. And he said it's very difficult to do, mm-hmm. but that was one of his recommendations. And gosh, the other recommendation kind of goes off. I can't think of it right now, but I, I that's – and related to social media, that was one of his recommendations. He maybe had maybe had two or three, yeah. but that was one of them was don't let your children use social media until they get into high school. They're not missing anything. Yeah, and, and looking back, I probably would have done that. I, I will be doing that with my younger two. Oh, um, I do remember his other one now. It was 
don't let your kids have their phones in their rooms at night. Make them use an alarm yep. clock. Yep. As opposed to a phone. That's that's another another thing that we've done with the littles that uh, we. So that is something you do generally. Uh, we have tried. Are tried. Yeah, okay. It's, I, I'm not. It's I'm not challenge. hating on Bane and his. No, parenting. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. I mean, uh, you know, we we well, you have the phone there, and and you know, full disclosure, uh, all six of us have access to various forms of media. Um, I intentionally let the littles use uh, my YouTube so that I can monitor what they're doing. Sure. And but the bigs both have iPhones, and right. you know, and, and I have some control over that. But at the same time, I'm trying to. You know, teach them how to be responsible. So, but with my oldest, with my oldest daughter, I mean, Lily has to have certain limitations and guardrails put in place because you know, she's thirteen. She's thirteen. She doesn't I mean cerebrally. She doesn't know what she's doing. And that is our, that. That was his point, especially with females. Yeah. At that age, the bullying is so bad that he registered. You know, is if you can avoid at least the cyber bullying, you, there's nothing you can do about the bullying in person. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of getting onto a sidebar, which could be a whole episode in of itself with yeah. social media use in children. But it, go, it goes back to, you know, wh- what about social media? The, the one that I, it's funny is never really mentioned in these social media talks, but I, I find interesting is LinkedIn. Yes, and I'm not on, I, I should say I am on LinkedIn, but mm-hmm. I never go on LinkedIn. My partner, Howard, actually. Fairly active. He's fairly active. I'm connected with him. Oh, are you? Yeah. And I do know that he actually gets pretty good feedback and connection through some of the blogging and stuff he does on LinkedIn. And that is, he says it's almost become like Facebook for professional people. It's exactly what it is. And, and again, getting into the DMs, stuff like that. Like I've actually talked to people. I have a lot of friends who are recruiters, uh, at, you know, male, female, whatever, at various companies and even individual headhunters. And they talk about some of the messages they get are, have nothing to do with you know, professional connections, it's, Hey, you look pretty in your picture. And, um, so, so the reason I bring that up though, is I happen to list my, my powerlifting accomplishments on my LinkedIn, because that I guarantee you anytime, if you're going to go into either an interview, you're sitting in front of a customer, they're going to go look at this stuff. They want to know who you are. It's not a surprise anymore. And it is something unique. It is. And social media on the positive side does provide that opportunity mm-hmm. that someone could go up, look up Bain 316 and see a bunch Which of... Which they have done during my interview processes. And God, this is if there's anything that anybody young should take out of this, it's that you should watch what you post on social media mm-hmm. because you should... And I've told my... I haven't told my kids this, but I plan on telling my kids that assume everything you post on social media is being seen by Grammy. Yep. And if you're okay with Grammy seeing this picture or this video or this post, go ahead and post it. Yep. If not, maybe you should reconsider it. And I'll be totally honest, because I run a business Mm -hmm. and because um, I have essentially customers for my meets and my gym that have varying beliefs, Mm -hmm. religiously, political, across the spectrum, I am very careful what I post on social media. Mm-hmm. If someone really looks at the things I like and some of the things I post, they could probably figure out my leanings and opinions. But oh, I don't I put them out there front and center all the time. No, and, and I'm I'm very vanilla when it comes to that. Usually, if you're going to see anything on mine, it's going to be lifting, food, always yep. food. Family. And, and, yeah, and my family. Yeah, um, same. Or if it's going to be something extremely obviously tongue-in-cheek. Sure. Yeah. Jokes. Or yeah. GIFs. Yes. GIFs. All the GIFs. And Batman. Uh, a- a- again. 
shit, even. Oh, social media. Talk about DMs. Yeah. So, my final thoughts. Social media is great. Social media is terrible. It's literally all. Social media is powerful. It is a tool. That's all it is. Social media is like money in many respects. Social media is like a hammer. It is just a tool. And if you use it properly, to your point, it can be incredibly powerful. It can help you take over certain aspects of your life. And I do think you're... In a positive way. I think your analogy of money is is spot on because what is going to be the currency of, you know, the 2020s? It's going to be data. 100%. Data is... Data is the oil of the 2020s, in my it, opinion. It, it 100% is. I'm, I'm already into it. I mean, I work in the probably the last analog industry, and and that is logistics and trucking. Okay. And as it continues to and digitize. What, describe what that means. So, so, I mean, up until three years ago, drivers were still using paper logs to log their hours. Uh, and their hours I service. understand. So, and you think about this. Sorry, there's another tangent we're going off of. But it, Why not it, just put a GPS device and track it that way? You could. But think about this. If you're an independent contractor, do you want Big Brother tracking you? No. You no, don't. definitely not. <laughs> and you're and here in America, where I thought we were American, we don't well, need to have that. It's interesting you bring that up because I, I read an article, ironically, on Facebook today that hey. said that I believe it was not Texas Roadhouse, but mm-hmm. what's the other steak place from Texas? Uh, there's a ton of them. There's Longhorn. There's Longhorn. Eh, I can't remember. It was a Texas steak place yeah. that was considering putting cameras in all their restaurants mm-hmm. and using algorithms to figure out how long customers' waits were, mm-hmm. looking at facial expressions to figure out what their interactions were with servers, and using that data mm-hmm. to figure out what the customer experience was like. And in the comment section, again, comment section is usually just a dumpster fire oh, on yeah. social media, but everyone's saying, well, here in America, I don't want, I don't want these companies watching me. I'm going to go to their competitor. Then don't go. And... Gosh, that might happen if it's known, yeah. but I think it's probably more likely that people are just not going to know, but and the, they're just going to the the data mining that goes on. By the way, it's already happening. I guarantee you, you know, the, there's data mining that goes on with our podcast. There's data mining that goes on with all of our interactions. There's data sure. mining going on now. At, at literally, as our phones are sitting here next to us, there's data sure. mining going on. And well, I mean, and we're all. Po- I mean, why do you think social media is free? Nothing's free. No. That's, that's the first lesson you learn in microeconomics. There's no free lunch. No. So you are the product on social media. You're your, the product. Your it's just, data is your currency that is right. paying for everything. It's just like when they talk about, sure, you get radio for free. The listeners are part of the product. Mm-hmm. They're not They're not the intended yeah, the intention of the service. You are a captive audience. Right, exactly. Yeah, when you talk about radio, you say, you know, the, the caller, the people who call in, you know, that's really part of the product. That's mm-hmm. not really what we're, you know, we're selling advertising to advertisers. Yep, exactly. that, that's who our customers are not the listeners. Correct. And when you think about Facebook, Instagram, what, what's coming up more and more in your news feeds on Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube? It's sponsored posts sponsored for, content. For, for advertisements. Sometimes it's stuff I'm interested in. And actually, that's probably their intention is that they can find more and more what you're interested in rather than random ads. They, they keep on sending me stuff about out-of-shape dads. I wonder if they're trying to tell me something. Uh, dad bods? Well, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, the... 30-day challenge for dads. I'm like, yeah. is it because I call myself fat all the time? Meanwhile, I get ads constantly on like, use this crazy business consulting method to increase <laughs> your gym membership by 200% in four days. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but that, but that is part of social media is that, again, it's free, quote-unquote, 
but I mean, you're basically putting all the information about your life out there. And I'm, I do it as much as anybody, although... Dude, my I, cell phone number is on my Facebook profile. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have that on there or not. I do have probably my date of birth. Yeah. Which, you know, if you were someone who was a conspiracy theorist or was worried about people watching, you probably wouldn't have any of that on there. But you no. probably wouldn't have a social media account. No, I would not. Be but I always... I, again, going back, I always have the philosophy that anything I will post on social media, I'm willing to say... And be posted publicly, even yeah. though it's only available to my quote friends. Yep, that, that, that's how I look at it. Is if I if I for some reason get pulled in front of Congress to talk about something and it's on my social media, I just want to be cool with that, right? I have one post for all time that I just leave up there now because it's funny. This is I'm not wearing pants, and that is the one I'm slightly ashamed of. Mm, I mean, do you really need to be wearing pants all the time? You know, technically you don't. But I thought it was funny that you know I I so for those who don't know uh, my background prior to. Uh, really even the powerlifting, actually was uh, a student minister. I did that on the side. Really? Yeah. Man, we did not talk about this in your origin episode. No, I, I don't bring it up a ton because it's, it's just not something I do anymore. Okay. And, did not know that. But the as I transitioned from that role to uh, to another individual who's the, the student pastor, he was using the leader's social media accounts and finding old posts because a lot of the a lot of the youth leaders were in their you know late twenties, early thirties, and the Gosh. kids were all middle school or high schoolers, right? And one of them was, well, I have I have five different ones that said Robert Bain rules, and he pulled all those up and said the last one was is not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about bad social media posts you could have, that's probably like at the bottom end of anything oh, it's bad. So tame compared I mean, to again what it could have if been. If any young people are listening to this or ever listen to it, oh. gosh. Just imagine, really Austin. Just imagine if you could—I don't know—lose a college scholarship because of some stupid thing you posted on a job. Right. Oh, definitely. And if you don't think that employers are going on social media and using, you know, a friend of a friend to friend you to get on your social media and see what you're posting, I mean, you're you're living in a fantasy world. I, I will tell you this now. I do it. I mean, what's the first thing you probably do with a potential employee? Do you Google them or so search them on social no, media? No, I look them on social. I I have burner accounts on all my stuff, and I, I search them up. Fence to they call them right. I don't know. Stacy Hawkins is probably going to send me a text later, just laughing because I think she's the one that introduced me to the term a, a Finsta account. Yeah, it's a it's a private account. Fat boy B O I three sixteen. Oh, I'm going to friend me. that for my <laughs> Finsta account now. But undoubtedly, I mean. As as a young person, imagine some of the stupid things probably you and I said out loud, maybe even wrote on a sheet of paper, maybe even wrote on a computer. Yep. Stupid things that I did. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't video them. I was smart enough not to do that. But yeah. I think about some of the stupid things I did in high school. Imagine if that had been posted on social media, and then I'm looking for, I don't know, a big scholarship from a college that I mm-hmm. ended up getting yep. or one of my first jobs. Imagine if that was posted. We all did stupid things. I'm of the philosophy that kids today are no better or worse than in previous generations in general. We just have visibility to it. <laughs> they're, they're different. I mean, there's we, we could talk about that. But I think the ability to post and document everything that you're doing. All your fucking stupidity. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, and then they go back to some of these politicians who have, you know, some picture from college. And some of them are really bad, but sometimes it's like, hey, you know, here's so-and-so politician that got drunk in college. And it's like... What? It's like, no way. No. Somebody got drunk in college? I'm sure none of those politicians... Or none of those uh, media members that are reporting on it ever got drunk in college or did anything stupid. Or are getting drunk tonight <laughs> as they report on it. Right, exactly. 
Well, we're getting off on a far tangent now. We, we are. But we are. somewhat related. Good, so, good, li- good life advice, kids. Don't ever do blackface. It's literally so easy never to do it. I don't know. When was that ever a good idea? It never was. I never. I don't know when that was ever and a good idea. And yet that idea. still keeps popping up with fucking people. <laughs> I just, I don't know when that's a good idea. When I was a kid, I was never like, hey, I should dress up as a black person. I just, I don't get it. paint my face black. I just, I, I look at it and it's just, again, social media, memes. I love that. And I'm like, it is literally the easiest thing in the world not to do it. Right. Wow. So simple. Or how about don't document it? Don't let somebody take a picture of it. Just, yeah, break, break the camera. Anyway, we have gone on many tangents, social media. It's, it's a huge topic. I think we'll probably have some follow-up episodes on definitely females in social media. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably some other topics we could offshoot from some of this as well. Bullshit fits to coaches. And- yeah, that's definitely a whole episode. And I would, uh, there's a, maybe some people we could bring as, a, as an interviewee to talk about some of oh, that. Oh, yeah. But next week, uh, I, I guess somewhat related, but... Definitely related to everything that's gone on in powerlifting in the last 20 years when I've been around is the alphabet soup of federations. Um, it's funny because we run mostly APF meets here, mm-hmm. which has always been big in Chicago because of Ernie Front. It's, yep. it's been one of the bi- biggest, you know, two or three organizations as long as I've been around powerlifting in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of USAPL lifters here again this week, and some of them asked me, did I have any athletes lifting in Raw Nationals? And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. I, I did know some people from Chicago that were lifting, yep. like uh, our buddy, uh, Fortino Power. At Fortino Power. who At Fortino Power, who had, a, a I would say, a good meet and a, a good deadlift, which almost had a even bigger deadlift. Yep. But and no, great, I didn't. And great hair. Always got to remember the hair. And a great jump after his missed deadlift. Yeah, I didn't I mean, realize he had those hops. Even gosh, he looked like he was like 10 feet in the air. Saying. So... You know, th- someone asked me, you know, do you have any athletes competing? I said, no, you know, we, we do mostly APF meets here. And she said, what's that? As though it was like a foreign language. I mean, <laughs> I would say most people should, involved... Should have in- told her AAPF because then they would have got it. No, they wouldn't have got that <laughs> But, I, you know, we'll talk about it next week. I mean, the USAPL is a newer organization than the mm-hmm. APF. And that doesn't make them worse or better or whatever. USPA is a much younger much organization. Newer, yeah. I mean, we're talking... A very young organization that has grown well, and we'll give them credit for that next week. Um, but we'll talk about, you know, at least my perception. I'm not going to give you, you know, exact dates and history lessons. You know, I'll give you my perception, having been around it for a long time, um, and having talked to a lot of the people that were around when, you know, the split of powerlifting and the various splits and splits and splits of powerlifting mm-hmm. have occurred. Mm-hmm. And we'll kind of go through. Maybe why there is an alphabet superpower lifting in the United States specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the reasons, you know, why it's happened. Um, and maybe go through, you know, just a little bit on each of at least the major organizations in the U.S. right now. I'm not going to go into international. I don't have enough experience with that. No. Um, as with everything, I'll just go off, you know, my knowledge and experience I can give, mm-hmm. having been around the sport for 20 years. But I think it's an interesting topic that new lifters can often get confused by. And that's oh, why... Yeah. 100%. And that's why in our first episode, I didn't recommend even APF meets. Even though we run APF meets, I mm-hmm. recommended find a meet in your area from a known meet director that runs good meets. Yep. And let me tell you, folks, this man right here can run a meet. Yeah, well, let's hope I can run a good meet this weekend. Yeah. That's, I got some work to do, but... Yeah. Uh, so one last plug, come on out this yeah. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday to the Chicago Strength Expo. It's at the Pheasant Run Resort in St. Charles. 
We're going to have some big lifting on Monday. Oh, yes. But we're going to have a lot of stuff going on on Saturday and Sunday. Powerlifting, strongman, Olympic lifting, some kettlebell sports stuff, and uh, some cool vendors as well. Food. Food, yeah. Always food. Um, there's, I think, two different restaurants at Pheasant Run. There's an ice cream shop. There's a couple bars. There's a bunch of stuff nearby there. So it's a good Perfect. spot to, to go out and just visit and make a, make a day of it if you'd mm-hmm. like. With that being, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and Anchor.